2: Hello, and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hello, hello. So we're, uh, of course, we're always a little bit sad when we have to do these shows, even though we really enjoy doing these shows, but it's obviously sad when we do the show because we lost another great player in uh, NBA history John Havlicek at 79 years old has uh, passed away from complications of Parkinson's disease and uh, just one of really the best all-around players in NBA history in terms of you know among the players who have did the most things well
1: yeah and and you know on, on your first point about these shows it's, I, was, I was thinking about that, too, as I was kind of getting ready for this and doing the notes. And, like, on one hand, it's great, you know, to to be able to go through and, and, and you know, read discover one of these grades Do a show specifically on a guy like like, like John Havelcheck or whatever. But, yeah, there's also that other part of you that's like, oh, man, it's because he died. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of – but he loved a pretty full life for the most part. You know, I think 79 uh, is the age of – yeah, 79 uh, when he died. So, I mean, a pretty decent life, uh, pretty, you know, long-fulfilled life. But, uh, yeah, it's still kind of this, like, weird – you know, it's, it's, in one hand, it's, it's cool to do these shows. And I think it's educational. It, it helps me. I know it helps you. And it helps, obviously, our listeners know a little bit more about these guys. It's just a matter of, yeah, it's like, it comes at the expense of, of, you know, uh, someone d- passing away. So that is tough. But, uh, yeah, Havelcheck, I mean, that, thing that comes up any interview you read about him anything you watch anything you kind of hear redo it whatever is that just he was so good at just so many different things at the game you know great defender a great rebounder a great ball handler uh, driver great on and off the ball always in motion that's like I was going back and watching a lot of clips uh, as much as I was able to find on YouTube and that's the thing that really struck me is that like after every shot Run into the basket to get his own rebound. Many times, we're going to talk about some famous, you know, self rebounds that he did. The famous, you know, Havlicek stole the ball thing. Like it just seemed like no matter what, he was just all over the place. He was just always on the floor, running around doing something, and. There was a quote from uh, Billy Cunningham that I, I really liked. That and, and I know you'll. It, it, it definitely fits our niche as you know NBA historians or NBA you know history buffs and for wrestling fans is that uh, Billy Cunningham said he always thought Havelcheck was like a tag team wrestler. Like he would halfway through the game just tag in and another John Havlicek would come out because he just had the stamina. He would never stop running around and everybody's like, how the hell can you run around as much as you're running around? And like the rest of us are exhausted and tired and you're never tired. So Billy Cunningham was like, well, it had to be two Havliceks and they would just tag in and out at, at, at different points to keep the energy up. But. I like that. But yeah, if you watch any clips, you'll just see him always just doing everything, always running around, always hustling, always kind of doing whatever he could, the, the little stuff, the scrappy stuff, but then also, you know, pretty renowned scorer as well. But even if that wasn't like his complete game in a lot of ways.
2: Right. Yeah. He, he peaked at, uh, 28.9 points per game. Um, you know, his career average was above 20. Um, you know, just go through his career averages, uh, 20.8 points, uh, 6.3 rebounds, 4.8 assists. Um, from the free throw line uh just below 44% career shooting Uh, obviously that that the shooting was not his strength although he did he got a lot better as he aged and he you know aged into an era where the shooting percentages started to go a bit uh you know the the numbers are excellent I mean particularly for the longevity that he had he's up there in some of the um you know all-time ranks when he retired he was um you know, I think he was second all time in points or third all time in points and sixth all time in assists. Uh, you know, he was uh, just because he had such a long career and a lot of sustained excellence. But um, yeah, he's a, a guy where watching him is extra instructive to see. I mean, obviously, it's good to watch any player, but uh, the numbers can tell you a lot about a lot of players. But Havlicek, um, you know, it goes way beyond the numbers for him. It's it's even more you know than than for a lot of players really watching him kind of shows. Because, I mean, a lot of it was on the defensive side of the ball, and there, and there aren't good stats for the most part for that. And most of his career, right. there weren't steals and blocks. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, he definitely was just so good at so many things. Bill Russell called him the best all-around player he ever saw. Um, You know, a lot of his contemporaries, including Jerry West and Bill Bradley, called him the toughest player to, co- to cover. And, um, you know, he started his career as a sixth man, kind of took over that role with the Celtics from uh, Frank Ramsey. But he also, you know, even early on in his career, you know, those first couple seasons, he's like, you know, th- second or third in minutes played, uh, on the team. And then he gets into his late twenties and early thirties. And he's playing, you know, like 45 minutes a game, you know, uh, in those early seventies years, uh, as he's, you know, the, the Russell and, and those guys are retiring. And then he's kind of shouldering the load as, you know, Cowens and, um, and Jojo White and those guys are coming in and they're, you know, reloading into their, you know, the, those seventies championship teams.
1: Yeah, I think that's what's kind of remarkable about him too, and we'll talk about this when we go over his, his greatest games that there's, it spans so much too. He had such a lengthy career that like, he does sort of span. I mean, he really, had he, uh, and we'll talk about his final game too, and 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 where he still was when he you know retired. There was a chance that this guy could have, if he had just played another year, you know, played with the, the you know the '60s Celtics and won all the titles with you know Bill Russell and Red Auerbach, and then also played with like Larry Bird. And then in in addition, like you said, the cowan JoJo White, like he could have spanned three different sort of mini dynasties runs or whatever you want to call it for the Celtics. He could have been a part of those and, and an integral part of those. But uh, obviously, we'll talk about his final game and what sort of led to it uh, in a bit. But I think one of the things too that you're going to notice as we kind of go over these greatest games, and that's going to kind of be our our, one of our uh, cornerstones of this episode is going over the great games of Havlicek, is that not a lot of regular season ones, but you're going to get a lot of playoff ones, a lot of NBA finals ones, and I think that's where he gets that. Different respect, you know, the clutch that we, we we don't, you know, you and I aren't, I don't think we talk much about clutch in this and I don't know if I like, I'm, I'm kind of like a unbeliever in terms of guys being, you know, more clutch than other guys or whatever. I mean, I think guys just end up kind of being what they are a lot of times, but uh, Havlicek is a guy that you look and it's like this dude rose his game. I mean, he got better, you know, in the bigger moments and and that's, you know. Uh, maybe a byproduct of maybe not, you know, being a six man and, and maybe not doing as much in the regular season. But like when you go over his greatest games and you look at his best performances and these iconic moments, they all happen in these huge, huge spots. And you can't deny that. You cannot deny, you know, how much success he had and how much he was responsible for a lot of the success that the Celtics and he personally enjoyed. So there, there's I don't know if it's clutch or whatever you want to call it, but the guy definitely delivered in the playoffs and the finals.
2: Yeah. And I think some of that is just sort of the, the strength of the Celtics system throughout most of his career of being strength in numbers, of having a lot of guys. Sure who could, you know, hit the big shot and step up in the big moment rather than always relying on one or two guys to deliver. You know, Havlicek, you know, maybe it's easier to do that when you're not having to rely on it every single day. Like, like, you know, most of his career, you know, he was one uh, of two or three great players rather than really being the go-to guy. A couple years in the early 70s, I think he would kind of qualify for that. But other than that, he was more just, uh, you know, he was a great individual player, but he's also a great complementary player. Right, Absolutely. So yeah, you know, um, you dig through the accolades. I mean, just some of these things that just pop up are are just pretty incredible. These numbers.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Hall of Famer. I mean, no doubt about that. <laughs> Unquestioned Hall of Famer. Uh, 1974 finals MVP. We're going to get to that series here in a bit. Uh, 13-time All-Star, 8-time NBA champion, 11-time All-NBA, 4-times uh, the first team, 8-time All-Defensive, uh, Number 17 retired by the Celtics, of course. Uh, and never really an MVP threat, though, but uh, fringe candidate from, like, 71 to 73. The only problem is there was a guy named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar there, and it's kind of hard to, like, you know, yeah, you're, you're good, John, but, like, Kareem, like, how I, I you, you, you got to, you know, you got to vote for Kareem in those years. So, uh but yeah, he wasn't a guy, like we said, he didn't have jump off the page numbers like a Kareem or like a Chamberlain or a lot of those guys. So tough to be sort of a, a an MVP candidate, but yeah, the accolades speak for themselves in terms of some other stuff uh, that he did. One of six players uh, to have won at least eight championships in their playing careers. Uh, only teammates, Bill Russell and Sam Jones have won more. Uh Havelcheck is also one of three NBA players with an unsurpassed eight and O record in the NBA uh, finals. Uh Fun fact. Also, this is uh we did a show uh, about this. Uh, And we mentioned him Uh, Havlicek was drafted By both the Boston Celtics And the Cleveland Browns Of the National Football League In 1962 So we did an episode uh, God, a few years ago I want to say About multi-sport athletes And I think we touched on Uh on uh, John Havlicek, a little bit there, drafted by both the Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Browns as a, a wide receiver uh, for the Browns, nickname Hondo. You probably hear that nickname a lot. Uh, if you don't know that, it was inspired by the 1953 movie of the same name, Hondo, uh, starring John Wayne. Because apparently, he had like a you know, Havlicek had a no nonsense, you know, quiet demeanor, uh similar to it. John Wayne had in that movie, so uh, pretty good stuff there. Have you ever seen Hondo? I have never seen Hondo.
2: I have not seen Hondo. No, and I think I'm sure my was, dad has. But. Yeah, I, 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 I've seen some John Wayne movies, but Hondo is not one that you have know, if to have if to bust that one out. Maybe that's a good. Uh, uh, you know, our next holiday special. We have to watch Hondo. We you know. watch
1: Hondo, yeah. See, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, like, I only know John Wayne movies from like going downstairs, and my dad watching John Wayne movies, okay. like, and I'm just like, what is this one? He's like, oh, it's you know, da-da-da. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. It's just like John Wayne in a fighter jet, just like shooting people. I'm like, all right, whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, in the Wild West, you know, kind of snarling at someone. And I'm like, all right, whatever. There's four. Uh, but, <laughs>
2: there's four or five of them I like, but uh, beyond that, yeah, not not my type of movie. But
1: <laughs> no, no, not for uh, not at all. Uh, Havelcheck is the uh, Celtics. Still, the Celtics all-time leader in points in games play. Played, uh, scored 26,395 points uh, in his career, uh, 20.8 points per game, as you mentioned earlier, 16th uh, all-time in points scored in the NBA. Uh, he played 1,270 games. That's 30th all-time. Uh, Hondo became the first player to score 1,000 points in 16 consecutive seasons uh, with his best season coming uh, during the 1970-71 season when he averaged 28.9 uh, points per game. Uh, and Then you mentioned a little bit of this, too, but at the time of his retirement, uh, Havelchek was the... Um, NBA career leader in games played, and he was third in points behind Chamberlain and Oscar Robertson. So that's good company to keep there. Uh, he also retired as a career leader in field attempts, and uh, for better or for worse, missed field goals as well. But hey, Kobe owns the missed field goals record that's now. True. So, okay, yeah. you know what? Like, good players, you know, if you play a lot and, and shoot a lot, you're going to get that record. So yeah. that's how it goes.
2: Yeah, Havachuk wasn't afraid to shoot. There's no question about that. You know, for, all, <laughs> no. for all the all shucks, you know, and, and you know, uh, good teammate and all that good stuff, he's also shot the ball quite a lot. So, uh, and nothing wrong with that. You know, he obviously, like an, again, not the most efficient guy in the world. But, um, you know, he good things generally happened when he was taking shots. So uh, and looking, uh, yeah, we want to just kind of go through some of the great games of his career. I mean, there's obviously so many. But we kind of pick sort of a blend between excellent performances and then games that were important that kind of tell the story of, of his career. So you're, you're going to be familiar with a couple of them here. And some of them I, I think you will uh, will be learning about maybe for the first time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it should be a pretty fun little exercise here.
2: Yeah. So the first one is from February 2nd, 1964. This is against the Cincinnati Royals. He had 40 points on 35 field goal attempts, 7 rebounds, 2 assists. This is during his second season, and he began his career in the 63 season with nine other Hall of Famers on the Celtics. uh, (laughs) Good team. Yeah, right. Yeah, not bad. And what was Bob Cousy's last season. And he was actually good enough already at that point to be third in minutes per game on the team. And the the next year, he'd be second in minutes uh, per game. So... um, you know, it's the the second 40-point uh, game of his career. And, and this came at an interesting time because it was against the Royals. Uh, the Royals actually won this game by two, but uh, a, a very tight game. Um and and this was the first year in a long time that the Celtics were really challenged in the division race because they had pretty much you know um you, you know won it every year pretty handily most of the years since you know they started winning championships in '57 maybe once or twice but uh, this was the one year where it was really tough this was uh, Jerry Lucas and Oscar Robertson. Um, Royals and you know, the the Celtics were ahead by a couple games in this race, but it ended up they were very close. They ended up the Celtics won won it by about four games, but it, it was a a tough one, a tough playoff series as well. And um, and as I mentioned, the Royals of course had Oscar Robertson and Jerry Lucas, but uh, you know, Havlicek and Oscar Robertson had some battles in college. Now Robertson was by far the way bigger star at that point, but Havlicek was the guy kind of you know, assigned to defend him. And, and one thing, when he came into Ohio state, he knew that with Jerry Lucas there, you know, Lucas was you know, Mr. Everything in Ohio. He was going to be, you know, taking all the shots and you know, getting all the accolades. They had a lot of other talent there too. He have you know, even like said, Hey, I want to do these other things. Cause I want to be around. I want to be important. I want to be valuable. You know, this is how I want to play in order to, to help the team win. And, and Ohio state was extremely successful at that time. Um so you know battling against these guys at this point just interesting look at his career it, a lot of eye-hopping stat lines here a uh, Robertson uh, 48 7 and 10 uh Lucas was 34 and 20 rebounds and Bill Russell himself uh, tw- not too bad 23 points uh, 33 rebounds and 6 assists so, yeah, not bad. Yeah, six. I mean, a
1: few more assists, Bill. Why don't you pass the ball around? Right, maybe a little bit. A so. little bit yeah, <laughs> come on. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you mentioned that Ohio State team as well, and we should mention that Havelcheck played with. Uh, you mentioned Jerry Lucas, uh, Larry Siegfried, who was a, a first round pick in the NBA as well. Uh, Bobby Knight, uh, obviously yeah. the legendary coach of Indiana, uh, Mel Knoll, and a bunch of others as well. I mean, that is a loaded, loaded team. And and as you would assume, they won the 1960 uh, NCAA title as well. So they were good. But like you said, uh, Jerry Lucas was kind of the do everything the, the 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 guy. You know the Real centerpiece of that team. So when Havlicek came in, it was like, look, you're you're probably not gonna you know score a lot because Jerry Lucas is here, and and Jerry Lucas is, is a better scorer than you. And and Havlicek was fine with it, and sort of uh, had the reputation when he came into the league as more of a defensive first guy, and then that sort of he shed that little by little as the years went on. But yeah, he comes in the league as you know, if you use his college years of his guy that like, hey, this guy isn't that much of a scorer. He's kind of a do everything uh, type of guy as a, as opposed to just a straight scorer. But as we find, like you said, within that first and second year, you're already seeing that okay, this guy's a pretty good scorer too. In addition to all that other stuff that he was able to do.
2: Yeah. Um, so another game you might have heard about this one, uh, April 15th, 1965, Game 7 of the Eastern Division Finals against the 76ers. Now
1: – Never this, heard of it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, the he has, Enlighten me. Right. So he's got 26 points, 10 of 30 shooting with 11 rebounds. So not really the stat line is memorable here, but this is a point in which the Celtics had won six championships in a row – but we're facing probably the toughest test in the playoffs, at least since, you know, um, since 58, where uh, it was Will Chamberlain who had come over to the 76ers in the midseason. Uh, you know, Hal Greer, Chet Walker, um, you know, a lot of those guys that were, uh, you know, tough foils for the Sixers, or for, excuse me, for the Celtics. Uh, and um, the, but the Celtics were one point ahead, but with five seconds left, uh, Bill Russell tried to inbound the ball, it, but it hit a wire that supported the backboard, causing a turnover. And the Sixers had a chance to inbound the ball and, uh, you know, get a play that could uh, lead to a shot that could win the game. Uh, Hal Greer inbounds the ball, tries to get it Will Chamberlain, but he's being covered. So then he he goes to Chet Walker and Johnny Most's radio call. Of course, Havlicek stole the ball. Uh, it's all over, you know, uh have a check steals it it's the uh, it's it's of course, i can't do the johnny most voice but i'm going to try but no yeah uh, it's hard to do yeah right. you got
1: you got to transport yourself back to like the, <laughs> the sure. late 50s early 60s like, Yeah, i don't even think we can make that noise anymore but no, yeah it's, probably, uh, it's, it's not you've possible. heard it a thousand yeah. times yes. if you if you've ever consumed nba media you have heard this clip before
2: yeah it's probably like honestly like i would say if you know nothing about pre 1980 nba you're like a, you know a casual nba fan who knows nothing about it you know, the history of it, that's probably the thing you know. That's, like, the, the one thing you've probably heard. You may not even have an idea of the context of it, but you know Havlicek stole the ball. I think that's, that's something right. that's... Right. Oh, yeah, bad. yeah.
1: I remember knowing that in my, like, really, really young, without having any clue what the hell the right. game was. I mean, any sort of... But it was... Just, it, it's, like, iconic clip of, like, any sort of clip show that the NBA ever shows, any sort of intro, outro, anything, is, like, uh, you know, hard with classics. You ever put on NBA TV, it's going to come up at some point. You're going to hear the Havlicek stole the ball. So it is, like, I, one of the more iconic, maybe Sports calls of all time, like yeah. you know, when we span baseball and all that sort of stuff, of course, you know, there's yeah, Bobby, we wouldn't have to get into that. There's like the Bobby Thompson thing, there's sure. you know the uh, you know Kirk Gibson home run, like it is of that pantheon of like all time sports calls and all time sports moments uh, as well. And and yeah, like you talk about it uh, again, you know, Hell Greer I- I trying to inbound the ball, they're under their basket, the Sixers, like they, they didn't right. need to go the, the full length of the court, like they're right there. All right. they have to do is get it in, and and they're going to get a good shot. And and it's a tough, you know, I I think it's is it Sanders that's guarding him or Jones? I forget who's uh guarding Greer there but he's doing an incredible job and 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 Greer obviously can't see all that well and is kind of panicking and then just tosses the ball and Havelchuk's smart enough to get out in front of it tip it, and 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 the rest is history so
0: Yeah
2: and he said he started you know he was just counting just just uh you know he he was actually um uh, you know he had his back to uh to, to Greer but then he sort of he knew he, in his head of course he knew he had 5 seconds so he was just counting uh you know one 1000 2000 and then he started to and then then he just went right at the perfect time, was able to tip the ball over to uh, Sam Jones. And you know, that, that of course sealed the game and the, you know the the crowd uh, rallies around him, puts him on his shoulders. <laughs> it's awesome. And, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. They're like
1: ripping his jersey. I was watching that a little bit earlier. They're like ripping at his jersey. My favorite oh, yeah. thing, though, is if you go back and watch this, I, I, I've never noticed this before until I watched it here. Uh, so Havelcheck you know, g- gets the ball back because uh, you know, you know Jones is kind of dribbling it out, and then he passes to Havelcheck Havelcheck puts up a shot because you know he got to get yours. You know, even sure, though, like, over, but yeah. you know one more point wouldn't hurt anything. Yeah. Uh, and then so the ball bounces off the rim. I, I I don't know. I don't think he made it. I think he missed it. Uh, and you see a fan grab the ball and just sprint this dude is like I got the ball and I'm out of here and then I think he gets tackled by somebody because you see him sort of stop and then the camera cuts to like you know the celebration or whatever so I don't know what happened to the guy who tried to steal the ball right. but uh I don't know if he left the plastic card with it. So.
2: Yeah, there was a, a a story I think on you know anniversary of the game, maybe 50th anniversary of the game, where Havlicek was like, "Yeah, I wonder what happened to that ball. You know, I, I wish I'd held on to it instead." Maybe he a, took it. Yeah, yeah, maybe that guy did get it out. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he did.
1: Some guy's yeah. just walking around with right.
2: that ball. Like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's in
1: somebody's basement or something. Yeah. I don't even know that right. it's like that ball. Yeah, Havlicek should have held on to it. What are you, what are you shooting shoot for right. buddy? Like,
2: well, you know, yeah, I mean, he he likes to shoot. What, what can you? Yeah, yeah, you do know, shoot or shoot, man. Yeah. It's, exactly.
1: <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Uh, next game here we're gonna go to May second, nineteen sixty eight. Of course, again another uh, big important playoff game here. This is the uh, game six of the nineteen sixty eight NBA Finals. Havelcheck puts up forty points, ten rebounds, and seven assists. Uh, versus the Los Angeles Lakers this is the first NBA game ever played in May. So we're uh, we're bumping up to May here a little bit. Yeah. It's crazy right. craziness with this league. Yeah. Now it's like June, you know right. what I mean. Like it's right. it's like God. Yeah. Uh. So after losing in the Eastern Finals uh, the prior year and breaking their streak of eight straight NBA uh, championships, the Celtics once again are now kings of the NBA uh, thanks to Havelcheck's performance here. Uh, Seventh NBA Finals loss uh, to the Celtics for the Lakers, which is, uh, (laughs) ouch, not good. Uh, Havelcheck is a high scorer, as we mentioned, with 40 points. Bailey Howell has 30. uh, Tenth championship in the last 12 years for Boston. Uh, And a pretty interesting question as well, that if the Finals MVP existed at this time, which it did not, uh, would you give it to Havelcheck? So here's kind of the two names that I think most have a chance at this. So, you have Havlicek with 27.3 points per game, 8.7 rebounds per game and 6.7 assists per game including this 40 uh point uh in the closeout game. And then you have Bill Russell, uh 17.3 points per game, 21.8 rebounds per game and f- uh 5.7 assists per game. Um I'm going Havlicek, man. I don't know this final game performance and and I think better overall numbers uh throughout the finals. It's tough to ever like vote against Russell especially at that time because he was so important to what everything that Celtics did, but man, I, I think it's Havlicek, check, right?
2: I, I think it's close. I mean, I think it's kind of a toss up there and, and I think maybe the, the game six seals. it. the fact that he, you know, delivers so big in that game. Um, you know, might do it. Yeah. I mean, the, the you know, Baylor had a strong series and West did too. But, you know, unlike the next year when West does win the first finals VP in a seven game series loss, I don't know that happens in 68, not in a six game series loss, you know. So, yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's probably 50 50, but it's an interesting idea nonetheless.
1: For sure. Uh, and then we'll move on to another game, uh, here again. Uh, this is in October 18th, 1970. So we're going to uh, move forward a few years here. Uh, 38 points, 14 rebounds and 13 assists versus the Portland trailblazers. Uh, this is one of, uh, Havlicek's 33, uh, regular season and playoff triple doubles and arguably his best statistical game ever. I mean, 38, 14 and 13 is pretty good. Uh, to kind of look at that number in history, only 12 other times in history has a player matched or, or had better than these numbers in a triple double. Uh, most recently, James Harden, uh, Few more points here: fifty-three points, seventeen rebounds, uh, or seventeen assists and sixteen rebounds. I should say on New Year's Eve, two thousand sixteen. Uh, Jason Kidd also had a, uh, a game like this. He had thirty-eight points, fourteen rebounds, and fourteen assists, so right about even with Havlicek. Uh, before Kidd, though, you have to go all the way back to Pete Maravich, who had forty points, fourteen rebounds, and thirteen assists in nineteen seventy-five. And then it's like Oscar Robertson and a bunch of other guys. So I mean, it is not a. I mean, that that number. I mean, maybe it doesn't kind of jump off the page initially, but thirty-eight points, fourteen rebounds, thirteen assists, like better than that or or equal numbers it does not. have haven't much only 12 other times in history, uh, has it ever happened? Um, in this game, teammate Dave Collins also had 18 points and 20 rebounds. So, as we said, we're seeing like kind of this evolution of the Celtics as we're kind of going on here. Now Collins is sort of emerging from here. Uh, Russell's kind of seeing his, his, you know, days dwindling or whatnot. But, uh, yeah, about this team, though, I mean, this is an interesting part as well. This is the first win of the uh, 70-71 Celtics year. Obviously, early in the year, we're only talking about the 18th year of October. Uh, but This is ultimately a disappointing campaign for the Celtics. Uh, Boston uh, went 44-38 and this season, but they missed the playoffs. It's the second straight year that they missed the playoffs after 19 straight playoff bursts and 11 titles. So that uh, did not let Tommy Heinsohn get a very long leash as coach because if you miss playoff and back to back years as the Boston Celtics, like people start asking questions, and and that's exactly what happened here. Uh, and this year, in uh, this game, I should say as well, the expansion Portland Trailblazers as well. They led the league in pace uh, this year and finished a uh, somewhat respectable 29 and 53 for a uh, expansion team. But uh, they would have two really horrible years the next two years. I think they won like 17 games, and then another 21. So this was like kind of their little. Bl- lip of like hey then maybe they're not too bad and they'd be like Normal expansion team, bad the next two years. But then, of course, you know, in a few more years, they get Walton and they put together a, a, a championship team here. But uh, yeah, as far as this, I mean, this is probably Havlicek's career best season, you know, the 1970 71 season. Uh, age 30, he averages career highs in points at 28.9, uh, rebounds 9, and assists 7.5. I mean, that is, that's an awesome year. 28.9 points, 9 rebounds, and 7.5 assists. So this is probably, arguably, his best year, I, I would say. Would you, would you agree?
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think when you average career high points in the three Main stats you're likely to be <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. I, I think that's what, yeah, nine rebounds for a guard, you know, six five. I mean, you know, he, he went between forward and guard, but, um, you know, he's that's uh, that's pretty impressive there. Uh, you know, um, g- good pace and all that they had. Uh, interestingly, this is the only the second uh, Blazers game in their franchise history. Uh, they uh, mm-hmm. it's because they were an expansion team this year, so I thought that was uh, I, I hadn't uh, Realize that until I was looking at the box score there, but only a second game in their history and they get uh, one of Havlicek's best games against them. So fun times. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, next we g- jump to 1973, April 1st, in fact, and uh, Havlicek, uh 54 points, nine rebounds and six assists against the Hawks in the, in game one of the Eastern conference uh, semifinals. Uh, This, uh, at the time, set a Celtics franchise record, made him the oldest player with 50 plus for the first time in their career. Uh, Also, he had 24 field goals, which set a league playoff record at the time and uh, helped. I think he had the first eight points for his team and led the Celtics to a 16-0 lead of the Hawks who later cut that to uh, 44 to 40. Although The the end result was a a pretty uh, dominant uh, Celtics win. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the, Celtics this year, this was their best regular season, um, uh, because team, because they ended up having a, um, they ended up winning 68 games this year, but, uh, Havlicek's injury in the playoffs later on in 73 would, uh, prevent them from going to the finals and perhaps mm-hmm. uh, getting a chance to the championship. And the Knicks ended up winning the championship, um, instead. But, but yeah, a couple things about this game in particular, um, you know, uh, Tom Heinsohn said the only time we ran a specific play for him was the basket that broke 50. So the idea that, you know, basically everything that he did was within the flow of the game rather than, you know, breaking the you know plays and going forward on his own. Um, and then uh, it was a backdoor pass from Cowens on an inbounds play that gave Havlicek uh, an uncontested layup and then gave him 52 two points, which is which broke the record um, by uh, Sam Jones, the the team record. And um He uh, he played all 48 minutes and he uh, scored the first eight points of the game. He had 30 at halftime and 43 after three periods. In fact, uh, he went scoreless in the first five minutes of the uh, fourth quarter, but had 11 minutes, 11 points in the last six minutes to, um, you know, of course, uh, seal the game and and seal the, you know, probably the best performance of his career.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is you know we talked about the the triple double as being kind of the best statistical all around numbers, but I mean, this one is, it, it speaks for itself with that 54 points, nine rebounds, six assists in, an Eastern conference semifinals game. I mean, that that's a pretty big deal there uh, for sure. So yeah, really good stuff. Uh, there, the next game we're gonna go to is May 10th, 1974. 36 points, nine rebounds, and four assists, uh, versus the Milwaukee Bucks. This is game six of the NBA Finals. I'd say one of the great games in NBA Finals history, one of maybe one of the great games in NBA, uh, playoff history as well. Saw the Celtics looking to put away, uh, the plucky Milwaukee Bucks featuring Kareem Abdul Jabbar and Oscar Robinson. Now, this is, of course, 1974, a few years after, uh, they had won their title. And this is, you know, we'll talk about it in a bit, but really kind of the last breath of air from the Kareem era. Uh, Bucks, as, as, as we'll get to it here a little bit. So, uh, have a check. you know, putting a dagger in, in that whole franchise for uh, quite a few years. I think the last time, uh, as well, the Bucks have been, uh, been to the NBA Finals. We'll see if this year, uh, changes it. But, uh, a lot of, lot of history and a lot of background for this game. So it's going to be a little bit as we kind of set up the stage here. So Dave Cowens gets in foul trouble early in the game. Uh, that leaves Havelcheck to kind of shoulder a lot of the load, uh, early in the game, which he's, you know, want to do because, you know, give him the, give him the, the ball and he's going to put some, uh, put some shots up. But, uh, Celtics down six late in the game. They came back, uh, to force overtime. Uh, John Havelcheck hit a long jumper to tie it at 86, uh, with a little over a minute left. Then Oscar Robinson was caught in a 24 second violation as time expired. I should mention as well, if you want to look up this game, A lot of the clips, like, I think the final five minutes of the... Uh, the, the first part, of the, and then both overtimes, I want to say are up on this YouTube video. It's clipped a little bit, so I don't know if some stuff's missing, but you can kind of watch a little bit if you want to. And it's a, it's a, a f- spectacular game, awesome back and forth. Uh, first overtime, Milwaukee leads ninety to eighty eight. When uh, Don Cheney got a steal uh, past the Havelcheck, Abdul-Jabbar was back on defense and forced Havelcheck to take a uh, pull up jumper. Havelcheck missed, but got the long rebound and scored it to send the game into a second overtime. That's what I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier too. We see Havelcheck like he gets the shot up, and there are. Everybody else is on the court waiting for this rebound and somehow, some way, even like he gets around Kareem and just gets this rebound, puts a shot up right away. It's just an awesome, awesome uh, encapsulation of what Havlicek was so good at. Uh, second overtime is incredible 11 lead changes including in the final minute which is just a crazy crazy back and forth uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hits a skyhook Havelchek hits a jumper Oscar Robertson scores uh, the next two Bucks baskets then Havelchek scores again on uh, the next possession Collins fall, uh fouls Kareem Abdul-Jabbar then he is now out of the game uh, Mickey Davis puts the uh, Bucks up 199 with a basket uh, with 24 seconds left uh, the shot clock turned off the Celtics worked up for a final shot uh, Tommy Heidson screened for a timeout but with seven seconds left nobody listened to him to uh, have a check loft a baseline rainbow over Abdul Jabbar for a 101 100 lead and this is now like pandemonium in the Boston Garden people are ready to run on You're like the crowd is just pulsating they're ready to go out they're ready to do their thing and uh, it's not gonna happen because the Bucks call for a timeout uh, they were Initially going to set up a play for John McLaughlin, which I don't know why they did that when you have Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Uh, so Abdul Jabbar was going to set a pick in the high post and then McLaughlin was going to get free. Uh, that didn't happen. Abdul Jabbar then gets the ball, moves to the right of the lane, dribbles to the baseline and lets a sky hook go from 17 feet away, swishes it right in with two seconds uh, left to go. The Boston Celtics inbound. Uh, Jojo White puts up a desperation heave, but that does not go in. And the series is now tied three games apiece. We are going back to Milwaukee. For a big Game 7, as far as kind of the background, Hevelchek here ended the game with a game-high game, uh, game high, uh, 36 points. Abdul-Jabbar led the Bucs with 34 points, including the game-winner. Uh, and Hevelchek had 9 of Boston's 11 points in the second overtime as well. Uh, I should mention, Hevelchek uh, played all uh, 58 minutes in this game. 58 minutes in this game. Uh, Bucks I said, of course, prevail in one all-time great game two days later though uh boston would finally take the bucks down and havichek would win his seventh ring uh and as i mentioned at the top the last gasp for the cream bucks as they disappoint the following season uh with losing record and then the next year kareem would be off uh to los angeles so really the last bit of relevance for, for the cream era bucks and and really unfortunately last era relevance for the bucks for many many years until obviously they'd, they'd have their little you know spurts in the 80s and and, and a little bit in the early 2000s but uh this this year feels like the first time they've been like super super relevant on that level in terms of like hey they can make it to the NBA finals so um yeah great we'll game see. though all time great one oh, absolutely. you get a chance yes. to watch it yeah
2: yeah the uh the game 6 uh Havacek, he had he had uh 16 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists and 3 steals but 6 of 20 shooting so not the uh, best shooting performance but they didn't need it because of uh you know the uh Cowens and the rest of them were able to put it up there um and um Havoc did win the Finals MVP this year. Uh, his stats in the in the series were um, twenty six point four points, seven point seven rebounds, four point seven assists, one point nine steals. So, um, and uh, and he really did have a very strong. If you look at kind of if you sort out you know his best scoring performance games or his uh, you know games where he has like you know, at least thirty five and five, he, several of them come during the seventy four playoffs. The game that we that you just talked about, but a few others as well. 4-3-74. Uh, he has 43-12 and 8 in game one in a series against the Braves. And a series that ended up being tougher than expected because uh he, it's closed out uh on uh April 12th, 74, with 30, 10, and 7 in a uh two-point win uh in game six. You know, Bob McAdoo, of course, the standout for the uh Braves. And then the then uh just uh later on in April uh, the twenty-fourth. He has thirty-three, five and five against the Knicks. That uh, in Game Five to uh, shut the door on the '70s Knicks as a uh, as a t- team that is a title contender and to get some revenge for the uh, losing in the previous year because of his shoulder entry. So, um, and, and you know, there's a couple of pretty solid books on uh, kind of the '70s C- uh, Celtics. One is his. Um, Autobiography that he was written with him and um, and Bob Ryan, which is written right after the '76 Finals. And then there's uh, also the short season, which was uh, a book by John Powers about the uh, uh, what ended up being Havlicek's last season, the 78 Celtics, where they uh, finally start to fall off. And, you know, the the wheels come off for the franchise for a few years. But, you know, one thing that stands out uh, is how much the 74 title really meant to Havlicek because it was his first one uh, without Russell. And for a lot of these guys, it was a way of, you know, Don Nelson and, you know, the guys who had been around uh, and, and Heinz and two, it was their first one without Russell. And that was just something where, you it know, felt like they had, you know, kind of the, um, you, know, there was always a little bit of a, yeah, but on, on their careers, but being able to win one without Russell, you know, being there, uh, you know, meant a lot to them, which is not something I really would have occurred to me, you know, given just all the championships that, you know, they had won.
1: Right. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, we, and and we talk about this all the time. I mean, obviously, Russell's such a uh, you know a, a great force. And then, yeah, even as as you know, as, as kind of the player coach, like it, it, it's it, it's tough. And I get that idea that like maybe it was just like this weird sort of cloud hanging over them. That like, yeah, well, you you know, you did it with Russell, but try to do it without Russell because there there were a few years there. Obviously, we talked about missing the playoffs a few years, a few years where they're 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 jettisoned out in the fi- you know the Eastern Conference Finals and and whatnot. So it's cool to see that yeah they were able to kind of do that and how important that finals was because. Like I said, on its face, it doesn't assume you, you wouldn't assume that that finals would be that big of a deal. Because it's like, yeah, OK, another championship for the Celtics, another championship for Havelcheck. But, yeah, doing it without that sort of I, I don't not negatively, but that cloud of Bill Russell. of Like, OK, do it without Bill Russell here. And, and I think they proved that um, these guys were winners regardless of if Russell was there or not. So pretty good stuff there for sure. That's a, that's a great book. Uh, yeah. All right. So you had mentioned the 1978, the final season of uh, Havelcheck, and that'll be uh, our final game here. Uh, April 9th, 1978, 29 points versus the Buffalo Braves, Havelcheck's final game in in the NBA. And of course, uh, also the final game for the Buffalo Braves, who would engage in a very odd uh, franchise swap. We have talked about that many times on the show, uh, but definitely worth your time to kind of read about that. If you don't have (laughs) if you don't remember or you haven't read anything about this franchise swap, it is very, very bizarre. The franchise swap is done with the Celtics, which makes it even more bizarre as well. Uh, it, it eventually ends up with the Buffalo Braves moving to San Diego, becoming the San Diego Clippers. And, of course, the now present-day Los Angeles Clippers. But, yeah, final game for the Buffalo Braves and the final game for Havelcheck, uh, Also, the final game for uh, Ernie DiGiorgio as well, who did his best to help uh, Havelcheck score uh, with his koozie-like feeding throughout the game. Uh, and the same day as the famous uh, David Thompson and George Gervin uh, scoring bidges. So, this is the hell of a day here in NBA history. It's like my favorite day in NBA history. We get, you know, the end of the Braves. We get the, the beginning of the franchise swap. We get that great uh, Thompson-Girving thing that we talked about in our last episode. It's really good stuff there. Uh, but as far as this game, uh, one day after his 38th birthday, uh, they do pregame tributes uh, with Phil Necro, which might seem like what the hell is baseball pitcher Phil Negro doing there? Uh, he was from Havlicek's hometown of Bridgeport, Ohio, so that made sense. Also, Bob Knight, uh, his Ohio State teammate, was there as well. And Hevelcheck's home region, uh, three towns within, uh, six or so miles of each other, also was home to Necro's brother Joe, a uh, famous, uh, pitcher as well, uh, NFL lineman and kicker Lou Groza, uh, and also, uh, disgraced NBA star Alex Groza as well, who, uh, was, Caught up in like a point shaving scandal, and of course got uh, jettisoned from the NBA uh, very early in his career. But uh, yeah, it's there's there's a lot of discussions about this game and a lot of stuff written about this final game of Havelcheck's career. Uh, Ray Fitzgerald, who was a Boston Globe writer at the time, says that Havelcheck's last game is a quote from the Boston Globe, uh, April tenth, nineteen seventy eight. Says Havelcheck's last game wasn't so much a retirement as it was a production, a melodrama that tugged at your heart and played tag with your memories from the time he entered the garden clad in a tuxedo until he turned out the lights in the place seven hours later. It was the John Havelcheck show, and we'll get to that in a sec. he did literally turn out the lights in the facility. <laughs> we'll get to that uh, in a moment. That is not just, you know, pros. This isn't just Ray Fitzgerald, you know, like waxing poetic. No, that legitimately he turned the lights out on the building. Uh, Bob Ryan, uh, f- uh, past guest of the Overback podcast, the-, the very podcast you're listening to right now. Uh, detailed the final game uh, for the Boston Globe as well. Really good article as well. If you just look up Havlicek's, uh last game, Bob Ryan, it should come up here. Uh, and he mentions here uh Hevelcheck was not retiring because he could not uh, could no longer play he had played every game that season he was still a viable nba force averaging 16.1 points uh while running the floor relentlessly and maintaining his stature as the best combo guard forward in the league uh but the season had become tedious and he was no longer enjoying himself it was well just time for for him, uh, Havelcheck would later confess that had he had known that Larry Bird, who they had drafted that year, uh, would have become uh, what he was, he would have stuck around a little bit longer to play with him. But alas, he didn't, and he retired this year. Uh, and to let you know, kind of where the NBA was at this time. Uh, CBS bailed on the final 15 seconds of the game as Havlicek walked off the court Uh, they bailed to go to the Masters because they said well that's all that people were really watching for nobody cares about this NBA thing anymore we're going to go to the Masters so I mean the Masters is a tough you know competition there for CBS I get it I guess to an extent once Havlicek signs out of the game you don't necessarily need to stay there but yeah it just kind of tells you where the NBA is at that time where they just go "All right, we're done we're going to move on to the Masters here Uh, and at the request as I mentioned at the request of Celtics equipment manager Walter Randall Havlicek did indeed turn the lights out in the Celtics locker room he was officially finished. So, um that's a great story there. I don't know why he I I, I like the I like the symbolism of Havelchuk turning up the lights there. Uh definitely works pretty well, but uh yeah, that uh, that was the final game there. But uh, a yeah, really good article about Bob Ryan as well. There's a ton more detail uh in there that you definitely need to read about if you get a chance.
2: Yeah, and there's a great um uh, SI vote article on uh you know, on the the end of his career and you know guys like uh you know, Paul Westphal and Rick Barry saying that Havlicek is the only true superstar and, you know, Bob Lanier, Jerry West, like everyone just kind of giving compliments about it and um, talk about the only time that he ever really had uh, only major issue he ever had in the media. Uh, w- with any other person was actually his uh, coach Tom Heinsohn when uh, Heinsohn let uh, Larry Siegfried, you uh, Ohio State teammate who played with the uh, late '60s, go in the expansion draft in 1970. But other than that, there is no record of Halvachek uttering a harsh word on word on any subject. Which I think it's funny the stuff that they highlight. There, <laughs> Never, you know? heard, uh, not a harsh word on nope. any subject. Nope. He
1: was not a takesman. He was not nope. a uh, a hot taker. I guess is what we're we're getting he was at not,
2: here. So. No. Yes, so there, there's some fun things, and it gets into the you know the fact there was such a huge, obviously there was an emotional outpouring in the final game, and you, know, you can read a lot of interesting things. Um there but there was also very much I mean, you know, there was there was a retirement tour. It was the first one that really the NBA had, had since, you know, Kuchi retired in uh sixty three at the beginning of Havich's career, of course. So he he had, so Havicek experienced that and then he was able to, you know, become a legend enough to, you know, experience the next one as well. So and he talks about how openly like, well, you know, part of why I did it is because, you know, it was helpful to the business of the NBA and for the Celtics. So, you know, I'm glad to be able to do that as well as, you know, uh, you know, uh get the celebration of my career. So it's, um, it, it, it's funny. It's definitely, you know, if you watch that game, if you watch, um, you know, in particular kind of the ceremony, you know, surrounding that, that game, which a lot of it is still, uh, you know, available. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, you
1: can watch almost all of it. Yeah. Right. On it,
2: that's, uh, it's very much a capsule in time of, uh, you know, the NBA at the time and, you know, of the era that was really just about to end, I guess, you know, um, although obviously nobody knew that at the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and 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 there's a lot of stuff that plays into it. You know, getting this big retirement ceremony, and getting this sort of send off, and and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it, it's a guy still kind of in the prime of his career, a guy that you know maybe nowadays people would say, "Oh, John Havlicek," why did he get like a, you know? But but at that time, we said he's like you know third in the NBA in points. Like this guy had been around forever; he had spanned multiple eras. He was a part of the you know the Celtics dynasty or whatnot. It it all kind of worked, and like you said as well, there was also the idea of the the era, and we've talked about it many times as well. I mean, the NBA was. In search of, of, you know, mainstream. Publicity, mainstream, just discuss- anything that they could do to, to get positive, you know, attention uh, to the league, not negative attention, which they had gotten throughout uh, a lot throughout the seventies. Uh, they were looking for, and it, it, you know, it doesn't hurt that it's like this, you know, hustling white guy. You know, you know what I mean. Like, I'm not right. trying to, you know, but it, but it was, you know, then that's you know, <laughs> we'd see, you know, a few years later with Larry Bird, where it's like, oh, thank God, a really good white, another really good white player. Like, we need this. Like that, the, the NBA was looking for that at that time. That's what they really wanted to do to appeal to kind of the masses there. So uh, it works with check, but it's not like he didn't deserve it. It wasn't like they took this guy that was just a scrub and said yeah 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 he's a legend he's a legend he was absolutely a legend but there's there's some other extenuating circumstances that leads to it being as as much of the pop and circumstance are saying like ray fitzgerald saying it wasn't as much a retirement as was a production which i think is is in one way sort of saying you know kind of a tug-in-cheek way to be like ah you know what it's it's it, it's a lot to it and maybe maybe a little too much but i think everybody respected the guy and liked Havelcheck, so we're more than happy with letting that be sort of the send-off there so it's a really cool moment though if you get a chance to go and watch it and uh and uh, yeah like you said most of it is up there on YouTube and it's an emotional moment as well so it's really an emotional uh, ceremony
2: yeah um so we got some questions on uh, on Twitter and Facebook that we uh, can uh that we can dive into uh the first is from Jamal Gonzalez Artiz uh, at King's Papa 1015. Um, would he have been the greatest player if he had started from the beginning instead of a sixth man at the beginning of uh, his career? I, I'm assuming whether he, he would have been – I don't think he would have been the greatest of all time, but um, would he have been a—you a, know, have, have had a strong career? Uh, I, I don't think it would have made that much of a difference because honestly, like even though he was a sixth man, he was playing, you know, big minutes early on in his career. I mean, all the Celtics except for Russell generally played in the high 20s and low 30s, and he was, you know, like I said, second and third, you know, on the team in minutes already you know now you know if he's playing for a different team and he has to be the go-to guy uh, that obviously changes his career but I'm not sure if that's really better for him or if it's better for him to be you know within that Celtics umbrella for a few years before he before he really is like the you know 45 minute a player go-to guy that he was for a few years in the early 70s I don't know what do you think
1: yeah no I I kind of agree I I don't know that like Maybe maybe you know if he had started it would have helped a little bit. But like we, we kind of pointed out there, I mean you're there's, you're really looking at like one or two years where he's not just like one of the top minutes. You know, getters. it's not like when you look at like Manu Ginobili's career, like Manu was doing 25 minutes a game, 27 minutes a game. We've talked about it when you know we retired, we we discussed it as well. Like Manu was a true like kind of six man for many of those years. I mean he was only in there for for the amount of minutes that he needed to be in, and he, he only like no he wasn't like only there for you know 10 minutes or whatever. But you know he wasn't like a big heavy minute load guy. Where as Havelcheck was like he. Have you know been a quote unquote six man, but at the end of the day, you look at the, the, the final numbers. I mean, he's still you know second and third in minutes played almost every single year there. So I don't know that it would help him dramatically. I mean, you're looking at yeah a few years there where, where maybe had he had had started, he would have you know you know had a few more minutes and whatnot. But I think he I, I think he maximized his career as much as he was going to maximize it. I mean, he ended right. with all those accolades as far as you know as he did you know as a six man. So no, I don't know that he would have. I don't know. I don't know that he would have changed his career or altered it all that much. If he had not come off the bench, you know, you know, especially in those first few years, so I don't know.
2: Yeah. Uh, Next, we have from Jamal James at uh, James Jamal blk Uh, has recently recency bias affected the way casual NBA fans underrate Hondo's legacy?
1: Oh, sure. I would say for sure. I, I, you know, if you went to normal, like, like I'd say, kind of fans right now, even, 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 big fans, you know, that that maybe in the last twenty years have, have kind of emerged. Like, if you mentioned John Havlicek, like, I don't know that he's a guy that they initially or If you said, hey, who are the, you know, the, 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 the best players of 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 any era? I don't think Havlicek comes up to any of them. If, if if you talk to that, and and you know, to me, honestly, I don't know that like until I had done a little bit of research or until I started this podcast that I would have really said that as well. Like, he just doesn't. I, I, don't know. Even though we talked about the iconic moment of Havlicek steals the ball, he just doesn't. I don't know. He just doesn't seem like he is that kind of all time, all time great. And he is. Like, you really look at it and you look at the numbers and the success and all that sort of stuff. He absolutely is. But yeah, I, I don't know. What, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a few things going on. I think one, you know, he plays in the unfortunate era that gets overlooked in NBA history. Most of his career sure. is in the 70s. So um, the other thing is that, you know, I, I Havlicek, you know, ends his career with his great 70s Celtics teams. And then there's a very, very short period of time where the Celtics aren't good before Bird and and company come in and they're a dominant team. There there wasn't like... There wasn't a very much of a long period to miss Havlicek because he was replaced by something that was, you know, more exciting to more people, you know, and uh, and, and it is a more famous era in Celtics history. So there, there wasn't like the opportunity to be like, oh, you know, John Havlicek and for that kind of post-career glow to happen while the Celtics were struggling because they'd immediately been replaced by something that was an even shinier object.
1: Right and I think too you know being in the Celtics was was you know a gift and a curse the gift is obviously tons of titles you know 8 of them in his career but also it's as we mentioned a little bit earlier where it's like oh yeah well Bill Russell was there and Red Auerbach was there right. and, and and you know there's so many other guys that it's hard to give you know Havlicek maybe doesn't get that same credit. Russell seems to be the one that sort of broke through. And it's like, all right, well, no, Bill Russell is unquestionably the best, you know, one of the best ever because, you know, he was kind of the leader of those teams in all those eras and everything as well. But a lot of the other guys, your your Kuzis, your Havliceks, your Cowens, those guys just don't necessarily get even your Sam Jones and and those sort of guys don't get the same amount of credit because it's like, well, yeah, they were loaded. We talked about the one team you had nine Hall of Famers or whatnot. So they kind of all, I think, kind of get lumped together unfairly, whereas Havlicek. As you said, you can really make a case that other than Russell, maybe the most important guy uh, to that entire era of you know the Celtics, other than maybe you know Red Auerbach, of course, uh, probably stands there too. But you know, I'd probably put him over like a Koozie. I'd probably put him over a Cowens and and some other guys as well. I mean, I I don't think it's huge hot take to say he's the second best, but the problem is it just seems like such a gap between second and first, with first being you know Bill Russell. So I think that plays a huge part in it as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, next we have. Um Next, we have uh, Ryan Dempsey. Where do you guys rank him as an all time Celtic? Top five, top 10?
1: Oh, man. Um, I'd say top five, right?
2: Yeah. That's I mean, where I'd put him. Yeah. I mean, he's behind Russell and Bird, but then I'm not sure if he's behind anybody else for, for sure. I mean, there's definitely, you know, you can talk about a lot of guys, but, um, you know, Kuzi and, you know, maybe Paul Pierce and, um, Mikhail, you know, maybe, maybe, but, yeah, yeah. It feels like,
1: yeah. yeah, those guys. No, none of them jump off the page to me. I think Russell and Bird for sure. And then after that, I mean, I, it's Havlicek. I think, like, I, I, you know, you could maybe make a case for Pierce, like you said. Maybe make a case for Kuzi and Mikhail, but those guys just don't seem to. I don't know. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at it now. They don't seem to jump off the page the same way, right? Havlicek um, does.
2: Yeah, it depends on how you're weighing longevity and peak and all that. But yeah, I, I would say, I, I would say he's definitely top five, probably say probably third. And then um, and then, uh, at 77 Blazers uh, has a few questions for us. Uh, so one, uh, did he ever consider jumping to the ABA? And the answer to that is actually yes. He definitely uh, w- got some interest from the ABA. I think there, there was an offer from the Pittsburgh team to um, uh, make him their player coach. And um, he definitely considered, he definitely was looking, especially after Russell and those guys, Um, Retired. There was talking as his, his, um, you know, his obituaries that he very much was all about, you know, okay, now that, you know, now I'm the man and I expect to be paid like the man, you know, that was very much, he was, you know, um, you know, all shucks and, you know, and and all those, um, all that kind of thing. But he definitely, you know, believed in the power of, you know, of um, players. He was pushing for players' rights. He was pushing for money. And I, I don't, I don't think he ever made it a, a serious you know seriously considered going to the aba but he definitely he used it to his advantage in terms of leverage
1: right absolutely and that's that's kind of one of the benefits of the aba is 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 guys were able to sort of say hey i got this deal over here and you know, some guys would take that deal because the deal is pretty good or they would you know ultimately just want to go back to the nba and, and, and use it but that, that's kind of the benefit of the aba being there and a benefit of there being you know a, a competitive league is that yeah you could use it as leverage so yeah how how serious he was we don't know but i mean hey he was serious enough to at least have a discussion and talk about it so
2: Yes, uh, and then another question: How did he get along with uh, with, with Sidney Wicks and Curtis Rowe? Of course, were former Blazers who had uh, both known for being talented, but were both kind of known for being uh, malcontents who ended up being in the uh, Celtics in the late seventies and and he never publicly spoke out about it but uh in that same SI vault article I talked about earlier uh he uh there there's a anecdote about Curtis Rowe once emerging from the shower after a, a thirty point to 30 point defeat to announce "Hey, oh, what's everybody upset about the W's and l's don't show up on the paychecks so, uh, <laughs> right. I, and I yeah, w- w- and the the writer uh, concludes that even though Havlicek is not saying that it's Curry Kirkpatrick who wrote wrote that, even though uh, uh, he never said anything about it, there's probably uh, th- that didn't help his uh, interest probably in sticking around with the uh, Celtics. So
1: no, <laughs> definitely not.
2: And yeah, and the other question was you know I, we didn't talk about it, but Cowan's of course you know famously um, I think it was beginning of the '78 season. Uh, he took like a, ended up being like a month and a half, two months sabbatical after he was burned out and ended up like driving a cab for a while and and went away from the, uh, league at the time it was retirement. And, and I don't remember, um, I didn't get a chance to, to dive back into the book a little bit, but I don't remember anything in the second season, particularly talking about, you know, anyone being super upset with Cowens about it. I think they kind of just understood I think they all respected Cowens and kind of understood that he uh, needed some space and, you know, wasn't really happy with with what was going on with the team. So I I think that that was pretty much just, it was considered strange, but I don't think anyone really uh, thought it was something that was like, you know, hurt their relationship with him but um. right,
1: yeah, I, I hadn't read anything real kind of negative about that and especially at that era I think you know we, we sort of take for granted and you've said too that Havlicek was very much like kind of a pro-labor anti you know uh, so I think he was Probably okay with collins doing what he was going to do, and I think everybody sort of respected that too because Dave collins obviously was a guy who busted his ass and, and, and played hard, but but had a lot of injuries, had a lot of you know kind of nagging uh you know foot problems and knee problems and whatnot, and that that's common of that era too. It's like you know the, what we see now with you know players and their you know their nutrition and the equipment and all that sort of stuff, and they're uh, you know we, we take for granted because in those days it was like yeah dude some guys just had like you know chronic knee pain and chronic foot pain, and it's like yeah shit just get out of there man. you know what I mean? like the best thing to do was just to go away and not play basketball for a little bit. So I think everybody sort of respected that, even though, like you said, it was definitely weird, but I think everybody kind of respected that, that, that yeah, it got burnt out and, and and there were some other extenuating circumstances that led to it too. But yeah, I had never heard of any ill will between the two because of it. So,
2: right. Um, yeah, I think
1: we also, we did miss one question, I think. Oh, Okay. As well, Jason Palumbo, I'll, I'll uh, at double dribble WP uh, ask. I said uh, if you got any idea in learning why uh, uh, Havlicek went from being a uh, the preeminent off-ball scorer in the league to a high-level wing playmaker. I've always wondered if that was a skill set he always had, uh, but didn't need early on, or something he developed later in his career. So why did he become kind of a, a, an off-ball scorer and then became a you know high-level wing? Player was it sort of him deciding to change that, or did he always have those skills, or what kind of what, what what's your kind of theory uh, on why he altered his game so much uh, as it went on?
2: Yeah, I I don't know if it's I mean I think he had the ball more, but I think you know the, the culture of the team was always sharing the ball and was always so so I I think in a sense I don't I don't necessarily think it's that much of a shift in terms of skill as more just in terms of role as in terms of. You know, he was sharing the ball with a lot of um, players who were about equally talented. And then in the early '70s, uh, there weren't that. You know, there there just wasn't the level of talent. You know, the uh, JoJo White was there, but he was still young. You know, they didn't have the level of guards that they had. You know, um, Sam Jones and you know Kuzi at the end there, and you know, and even like Larry Siegfried, guys like that who were pretty good ball handlers. I I, I think it's more just that he. you know that that was kind of the role that was thrust about upon him, as opposed to um, you know playing a different way. I mean, the the Celtics. Um, you know, wh- one thing I will say, wh- one thing about the Celtics that's interesting is if you look at like the um, and, and this may not be indicative of Havlicek himself, but the, the of course you know the the '60s Celtics were awesome at defense, but were generally near or at the bottom of the league in um, offensive rating. But the early 70s teams were different. They were still among the top defensive teams, uh, not as good, obviously, with uh, Russell. But but those teams also were good offensive teams as well, you know, relative to the league average. They were, you know, high up there and, you know, they were near the top of the league in offensive rating, I believe. So, um, you know, I, I think maybe their act got more, got more varied as well. I mean, maybe... Um, you know, instead of having a player, a coach like Russell, having a coach coach like Hineson, even though he was formerly a player, obviously, um, may have had something to do with it as well of just uh, maybe making them a more uh, varied offense. But I don't know. That, that's an interesting question. I don't have a good answer for that. Just kind of yeah. theories. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't know if it's like he sort of altered that change in the Celtics or he kind of did it or they just kind of happened. Yeah. But it is interesting. I think he always probably had those skill sets. It was just a matter of, you know, getting the opportunities to to, to showcase them. On all the ways, and he's a guy that that you know we we've read from everything that he worked you know pretty tirelessly on his game. Like you said, he came to the league not being a very good shooter, and he you know didn't really leave being a great shooter, but but he definitely improved that as as the years went on. and And your point about their offense too really I I think stands out too because I don't think people realize that if you go and look at at you know relative to league average, like you're saying, Basketball Reference has this. If you go to the franchise index, uh, the Celtics, every one of their eight straight NBA Finals, they were negative <laughs> relative to league on terms of offense. The good part, though, is they were very good defensively. They seven point six, eight point five, eight 5.7, 6.2, 7.6, 8.5, 8.5, 10.8, 9.7, and 6.6 better than league average in terms of defensive ratings. So just an incredible defensive team. And they held it. Strong, you know, throughout the rest of the the seventies, but then their offense, you know, sort of starting in seventy two, uh, as you know, Havelcheck sort of emerges as, as as their number one guy. Uh, you see the offense kind of take a, a pretty big leap as well there too. So yeah, I, again, I don't know if it's chicken and egg. I don't know if it's you know, Havelcheck made them a better offensive team, or they just kind of altered their their game a little bit, or evolved me to the, the the league around them a little bit uh too but yeah it's it's a super interesting question i to me i feel like he kind of always had those skills but then maybe had a little more chance to show them off but i think he also probably improved his skills a little bit too probably because he was now having the opportunity to say hey you know russell's out of here and, and and a bunch of other guys are gone and now you're kind of kind of shoulder the load here uh for a few years so you know the ball's yours and 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 go there and take it cuz you know he need he, all he needed to be was just kind of one of the guys uh for a bunch of the 60s and then in the 70s he had to become the guy so i think that that plays a part on uh, how you see this game kind of change a little bit
2: yeah definitely um a few stray things before we uh, close this out. Um, from '74 uh, uh, Sports Illustrated profile, uh, one of my favorite Havlicek stories involve him um, and Jim Luskadov. Uh Luskadoff is near the end of his career, right when uh, Havlicek is getting starting off, and he and, and Loskutoff, as, as I'm sure most listeners know, was a guy who just you know, physically uh, dominated people, and you know would just pound guys, and was part of that '50s era of guy, you know of, of uh, rampant physicality and fouling and stuff and you know and, and he's giving it to Havlicek as a, a rookie and then Havlicek just responds to this by just, you know, running uh around just runs and runs and runs and just um you know uh just basically you know tiring have off and then you know he says, Hey you're crazy. Nobody runs like that. Slow down and then um and then Havich's response is hey quit pushing me around and I'll quit running so hard. So um <laughs> that that was a fun uh you know that, that that's a that, that's a fun uh you know Havlicek didn't have the level of toughness that Los to have, so he used advantage there, um and then in '77 there's a anecdote from Sports Illustrated where um Havlicek was given a pedometer for his 37th birthday and he wore it during a game versus Chicago and it recorded that he ran eight miles in 43 minutes which um is a pace of five minutes 23 seconds a mile so uh not too bad.
1: Yeah, I wonder what that compares to. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, you know, obviously we have the synergy stats now for right. uh, for guys. I'm curious how that does. That is the perfect 37th birthday gift, and he would – you know what I mean? Like a pedometer, <laughs> yeah. and then he, you know he was so excited to use it, too. Like he, he was, was? like,
2: yes! yes! I have a game against Chicago in two days. Awesome. Like, right. Well, like, yeah, and, and, you know, especially a guy like Havlicek who was known for, like uh, – you know like planning everything out in his advance and Mm. uh you know he was the guy who like uh organized all of his like toiletries by height and he like obsessively like hung all of like like his clothes like even his socks and what what was just like kind of uh you know was had that sort of neat freak mentality i think that's like a perfect thing to do that that monitoring and keeping track of and knowing you know what you're doing there i i think is is really fun
1: yeah, you know that he had a notebook filled with like his, his, oh yeah, you know, where he ran, oh, yeah. you know, for, for the rest of his career. There was a little mini notebook that was like, oh, today I ran 43 miles. <laughs> like, right. Oh, it was like, I was, you know, so that's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. What a, what a, what a hanging the socks is, I was about to say, like, that's kind of like me. You know, I'm a pretty, I'm a big neat freak, but, uh, I don't hang up my socks. That's yeah, that's, that's insane. A, that's that's <laughs> ridiculous. Well, yeah. The sock drawer is 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 meant to be chaos. Like that is it's right. supposed to
2: be controlled chaos. Well, hey, you know uh, you have not uh, you you have not missed the second most shots in NBA history. That's true. So, yeah, it's true.
1: Man, how do you even hang socks? Like, doesn't that become like untenable? Like, how do you even okay?
2: Well, no, well no. they had hooks in the uh, in the locker rooms. I think so. Um, I I forget if they were in the hotel or if they were in the locker room or or what, but anyway. Wow, okay, interesting. I've got to find out more about this. All right. (laughs) There's a whole new info. There you go. So
1: look for a follow-up on (laughs) (laughs) more info about John Havlicek's OCD. It'll be a great great episode.
2: John Havlicek's socks episode, yes. (laughs) Bonus episode, yes. That's a
1: great Twitter username. I'm going to reserve that name right now. Yeah, there
2: you go. There you go. Get that one. So uh, today's tweet. I've been hung up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so... uh, so uh, thanks everyone for checking us out. You can find us at the step back at fansider.com. We're also on Twitter and Facebook at over and back, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to give us a rating and review, preferably a good one, we would greatly appreciate it as it helps people, uh, find us and it helps us make, f- feel good about ourselves. So
1: absolutely. Yes. We need that
2: vindication. So give it to us. Absolutely. So, uh, thanks for listening and we're we'll back again soon.
1: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
0: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.